<laughs> Aloha Maui Nui. Hi, this is Josh Porter. Jason Verkart. Brian Thomas. Welcome to the Solar Coaster, folks. This is episode 131. We just got back literally this morning from Oahu. We went to the HSEA event. Uh, and it was kind of a moment where we saw that, you know, that there's a bit of a renaissance happening in the solar plus uh, market here in Hawaii. When I say solar plus, I mean solar plus storage and plus everything else, uh, both on, you know, on all utility and CNI. But this was a lot of it was kind of residential, residential focus. Uh, and then we also kind of started to see that, uh, you know, the, the co because everyone is getting batteries, the ones that are getting installed, we talked to electricians, we talked to roof guys, we talked to uh, vendors uh, out there at, at Will Will. Geese's uh, HSCA Expo. It's the Hawaii Solar Energy Association. Glad you got that right. <laughs> last night from 4 to 9 p.m. at the Aloha Tower. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people out there, about three times the vendors Yeah. from the first uh, inaugural one last year. Uh, and it was definitely felt like, hey, there's a lot of movement here. Talking to all energy. the old hats. Real and energy. energy in the room, yeah. Yeah, very cool um, stuff. Big shout out to Will for putting that together again. Um, can't wait for next year. Probably one of the best trade shows we've been locally. <laughs> you, you kept saying that. What could be better than a, than a trade show in your home state from 4 to 9 p.m. on a Thursday? That's yeah, like a great go. trade show rather than, you know, weeks worth of your life going to some <laughs> place. I, although, you know, hey, we like Salt Lake. That was fun. But uh, yeah, very, very cool. Brian, wish you were there, man. I think you would have gotten a kick out of it. A lot of a lot of a uh, lot of kind of like makers type folks out there kind of, you know, thinking about technology advancements on the racking side, on the solar plus storage side, on the, you know, coding side with Gary was out yep, there. Yep. Shout out to Gary Dolberg from Enduro Shield. Uh, just a lot of neat stuff. Also, advanced new positions. We found people in new roles with the state as well, right? Like this uh, woman, what was her name? Was it Lala? Alulu. Lala. 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 And we're going to hear from her um, about uh, an equity uh, role in, in the climate resilience and really interesting stuff. So like people thinking about kind of the, the, the newer, newer aspects of this uh, renewable energy renaissance that we're living through uh, yep. very very cool experience and good to see all our old friends out there so a bunch of electricians i know shout out to asher uh and then a bunch of folks from revo <laughs> if you, if you and keep you shouting people it. out we're just gonna be here for an hour really <laughs> really <laughs> everybody was there so, that's so that's kind of that's kind of the message no it was absolutely fantastic and, 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 really and, great energy and there were big vendors that came too right oh, so, absolutely i mean and that's a pretty good thing because it's expensive to come to hawaii t for a that, trade show that was actually the big takeaway right yeah. or, or, and one of the big takeaways was that these companies were here investing the time money and energy sending out their staff from you know who knows where like lumen for example yep. which is one of the companies not, we'll not a big about. not a big company really difficult for them i mean it's, generally you would think that it's oh hawaii you know everybody wants to go and, and a lot of people it say it a lot. but it's actually a lot of effort to get people yeah. out here and so a lot of people don't do it and so to see that kind of investment with from the from these companies was really for really sure for sure appreciated sure. from our side big boys awesome. were out there solar edge and phase all of them uh panasonic a lot of the panasonic the shows brought out the evervolt the evervolt a lot of it the, the technology <laughs> it was there huh. yeah the tech we've been covering over the course the post spi up until now the last four or five shows yep. have been solar plus storage offerings right by one brand yep. and you know and phase and phase was right there you know pushing their ensemble product and what's yep. going on with that and got a couple of updates on the, the timelines. And even a, uh, the IQ8 sounds like that's about a year out. He told, told us that, right? Uh, that individual IQ8. So they're mm -hmm. going to they're gonna be bundling them with the battery, the N-Charge battery system first. Those are the because they're identical units. But as they ramp up manufacturing, the first batches will go into home storage. I see. And then the individual ones for micro inverter AC module panels will be a year out. And the IQ8s are the grid-forming microinverters. Those are the ones that uh, would conceivably work and i know i'm going to say this and everyone's going to get excited about it but like with a panel panel itself this ac module could form a grid without an energy storage just by components. itself you put a panel out in a field somewhere and it just yeah. starts making ac <laughs> pretty pretty exciting tech the solar edge guys are there travis and, and neil representing solar edge and all its amazing uh, stuff that's going on with those with that company yeah just really a lot, lot of fun legenerac was there neil good job neil um very cool stuff <coughs> All right, so today we're going to get a chance to hear a little bit about HSEA. We chose a couple of the interviews we did. We also kind of felt like it was moving into, uh, we, it's the right time to move into the discussion about smart panels, right? right. So we, uh, we saw the SPAN guys out there, and they're going to, was it, is it SPAN IO or SPAN? I've just been saying span. I didn't right. see IO anywhere. And then Lumen guys, right? Yeah. And then, of course, our uh, fine friends, the Pantac uh, folks, we've been working with them for quite a while. And this is all smart panels. So this is a, a conversation that not everyone's really chatting about. We brought it up a couple of times in conversation. It wasn't in, like on everyone's mind. I introduced folks to Lumen, right? Yep. And uh, this is when you're installing an energy storage system, you can have a dynamic uh, loads panel. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's basically what, it's it's when you go in and install storage that the that nasty conversation that everybody has to have is what don't you want to back up? We have to take something away from you, and it's going to be an extra in cost to the install. You have to install a second panel, rewire things in or in and around your house just to get this to work with a smart panel system that you can configure after the fact. Um, none of that, all that conversation goes away. It's cheaper. It's more effective. You can con- customize your energy usage. Uh, there's there's no downside. So yeah, and not everyone's <laughs> not everyone's fully embraced it. I gotta tell you, I talked to a handful of people, and they're like, oh well, I don't know how important that is, and I'm like, what? That <laughs> Why would you do anything else? Like so, so the smart panel is one panel, <coughs> which avoids that secondary panel, mm-hmm. of which where you define which ones that you want to maintain. Right, you would be replacing your existing little breaker panel sure. with a panel that's smart, and a lot of them fit in the same box, the identical box, so that okay. they, they, they've thought that one out. Um, so you get the the panel in, and the breakers are intelligent. They will turn on and turn off depending on the status of the system. If your grid goes away, you know, well, you know what? I don't really need the, the clothes dryer draining my battery right, right now, so I'm going to shut that off. And it shuts it off at the breaker level, just says, okay, no, cut that circuit, and it's done. <laughs> and go. that goes away. So those types of things will happen, but I definitely still want my lights on. I definitely want to... And what was it? That, that interesting story, the guy had his garage door. Uh, Originally, he said he didn't want the garage door on it, but then, he, of course, he, he was outside and the button wasn't working and he realized the power was off literally from his phone he said nope I actually want the garage door part of my, my backup loads I, I want to get yeah. from, my car from outside that. the house and yeah. I want to I want to be able to put my car away so then he was he was able to connect it and then immediately get as the soon garage. as you hear that story you're like okay no other no, way that, yeah that makes but sense <laughs> we, let's let's jump over to our housekeeping we'll come back and dig into uh, one of those companies at the end of this show span sure. all right folks this is the solar coaster we are a renewable energy theme talk show right here in lovely Maui County it can be found Fridays at 105 p.m. Uncle Oil 1110 a.m. Also, FM stations, 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry. www.solar-coaster.com is where you can listen live. Check out all our live streams. We are live streaming right now, actually. I pressed the button. Say hello. Uh, we're on YouTube. So... Uh, but the most important thing is we have all our show, old shows out there. If you're interested in a specific area of technology, uh, solar, renewables, fusion, whatever we've talked about over the past more than two and a half years now, it's all on the website. So go and do your research. When you're out there looking for a product, trying to be being sold a product, do your research. Yeah. It's out there. Or send us some questions if you want to have our opinion. Yep. We're also out on podcast networks. All those shows that have been picked up by iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeart, they're all out there. Just search for Solar Coaster. The logo has changed. It's now Orange Circle, a little blue waveform in the middle. It says SC. Very cool. A little techie looking. Uh, but we're on all those podcast platforms. So uh, so go and check us out. Got some great sponsors that have helped keep the Solar Coaster on the tracks for uh, quite a while now. Sundrum Solar. Thank you to Mike and Cherry for re-upping recently and uh, helping out the uh, the. Solar Coaster guys, uh, Pantech Design, uh, and also we have our newest sponsor in our local sponsor section, Fairwinds Wealth Management, represented by Brian Thomas. Brian Thomas in the room today, also talent on the Solar Coaster. Good to be here. There <laughs> you go. Brian is, uh, has got a lot to say about uh, renewable energies and, and finance and, and environmental and social governance and all these kind of cool things, which to me, every time we talk about it, is something We tend to get new. very technical, and he's in the, kind of on the other side, so we have a good conversation. Like, Ironically, <laughs> a very technical person as well, oh, right? Of course, but, yeah. <laughs> but like I can ask the layman questions that may be on the users' minds or so, listeners' minds or yeah. something like that. But, yeah. Um, Definitely, definitely. This is a call-in show, folks. If you'd like, give us a call. Go for it. 808-242-7800 is the call-in line. We're going to talk a little bit about the local sponsorship section here. We've got a, it uh, looks like we may have our second local sponsor. Pretty excited about that. I'll hold saying the name of uh, that particular sponsor. But this is a great uh, section here, folks. If you're in Maui County and you'd like to be a part of the Solar Coaster, uh, we have uh, four 30-second spaces available. But there's a whole bunch of other things that come along with that. You get the announcements throughout the week across the four different radio stations. Uh, you get a chance to participate in our after-hours stuff, our streaming, our social, our trade shows, our events, everything. So if you'd like to be a part of uh, the solar coast, we reach this demographic of people that are interested in renewable energies. People are often buying renewable energy systems or into EVs or into, then this is a great uh, location to do that. Now, Brian was the uh, had the foresight and the vision to be the inaugural 
local uh, <laughs> local first local sponsor. First of all, thanks for that, Brian. And uh, you know, obviously, um, one of the things that's interesting about what Brian has done, at least for me, right? You've really kind of opened my eyes up to uh, how uh, the not only the renewable energy uh, world is, can we can we can participate and support the renewable energy world with our, the power of our money, right? So you got to make choices about this. You got a 401k, maybe you have some cash on the side, and you want to be able to put that to to good work. And what was interesting about that is I always thought about it in terms of okay, I want to do something good with my money. What can I do with it? Not that I've got a bullet, this little small little bucket, little purse. <laughs> and uh, but then we started to see as we we analyzed it show by show that ironically the people we were interviewing were the biggest buckets in these electronically traded funds one particular was tan uh and the the the, uh, the guys we were handling in our shows were the biggest kind of contributors to that right and then so it was like the sh the the stocks and the companies that we might want to participate in and support for good reasons turned out to be the real winners as well at that particular moment in time right mm -hmm. yeah i mean the, the the timing was 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 perfect and fantastic. We were talking about ways that people could put money to work in the solar industry or renewable energy industry, right? And we talked about uh, the vehicle, which is an exchange traded fund, like a mutual fund that trades on the exchange. And we talked to people about one in particular, T-A-N is the ticker symbol, right. which, which as, you were, as you were referring to, some people think that, okay, I, I want to empower my money and put it to work in the right areas, but it may come at a cost. Well, that's actually not the case because T-A-N was the number one performing year-to-date ETF of all the ETFs out there, <laughs> right? So, uh, not, not, not renewables and solar specific, just as in the broader market. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. In other words, so it was the best growing industry uh, in America. And right? that, in that America, in that particular show, and that particular show and not planned, we were interviewing Lior Handelsman, who was the co-founder of SolarEdge, and it turned out that that company, SolarEdge, publicly traded company, SolarEdge, was the largest, uh, what, how would you, how would you Lar describe Largest it? component of that ETF. Right. Like an ETF owning a basket of solar stocks, that was the biggest one in there. Excellent. So and, 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 and by the way, it's not a recommendation. And, and subsequently since then, the markets moved higher, making all-time highs in the S&P 500, but Wall Street has sort of a shiny object syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. And so as, as that has, as the TAN ticker ETF has moved up so high, attention may have come off of that, and it's actually lagged, right? And so you gotta kinda pay attention to that, and there's a potentially regime shift underway, whereas the people that have made the money are taking money off the table on that. But that does not mean that solar industry cannot keep growing, and those companies cannot still earn money, because there's that confluence of, of generation with smart panels, with storage that's occurring right now. It's fascinating stuff, and it's really great to see how that all all plays out. I'm looking forward to talking to you genu genuinely every show forward and learning more about the the uh, how how we can participate in that in the in, in ESG. Yep, it's neat. Thanks. Very cool stuff. Very cool stuff. So if you'd like to be a local sponsor, please give us a shout. 808-242-7800. You can probably reach us there. Uh, <laughs> let's jump over to our news and events. <laughs> All right. Right away, uh, big Bloomberg opinion poll. Um, solar and wind have become amazingly affordable. We've been talking about this for a while. <laughs> yeah. you, you sent me this one this morning. Um, but but costs are falling so fast that it's their their headline. It makes more sense to build new renewable capacity than run old coal plants. Now, coal plants are cheap to run, generally speaking. Um, they're not nice if you're trying to build a new one, but if it's already there and it's, and it's cranking, there's really no reason to shut it down, unless there is. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it, in the end, it, really all, it almost always comes down to money. Now, there's, a, there's a big, of course, big conversations about air quality and all these other things that, that play into it. But at the end of the day, the folks that own the plant want to make money. The companies, that they have a responsibility to their shareholders to make money. And so this is, this is where the tipping point really is, is when years ago, when it was to build new solar versus new coal, yes, you would build solar or wind, to because it was about the same cost or less than building a new facility. Now it's, we're really getting to the point where building new solar and wind is cheaper than even running your old coal plant. <laughs> and, and, and Jay, here's where that gets fascinating is that that's, you're, you're just talking renewables to coal, right? Yep. But the, the competition in the past has been coal and natural gas. And natural gas prices have come down dramatically because well, uh, America, U.S. has tons of natural gas and we've yeah. discovered new ways to produce natural gas. So, so we are naturally gas rich. And so the, the plants have toggled between coal and natural gas, but you know, outside of that, 
is, is solar and wind coming in there. So it's it's a fascinating thing to, to drive the cost down on this stuff. Yeah, and they even share some numbers, which may not have great context, but relatively, you can see $28 per megawatt hour on offshore wind, $36 per megawatt hour on utility scale solar, and then coal and nuclear at $34 mega dollars per megawatt hour. Yeah, they did include nuclear in here as, a, as an interesting thing. And 29, um, yeah. And, and I wonder if they count the decommissioning cost on nuclear, because that's not a cost that you can ignore. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably unlikely, right? <laughs> honestly. But, uh, but I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, one of those major milestones that we've been talking about over the last couple of years is when you see these, these big points, tipping points, um, that we're just going to go right up, right up the hockey stick of, of renewable adoption. And, and, so and the other thing that's attractive, too, is that the costs for solar at that point, once it's installed, stay pretty fixed. Whereas you don't know the cost of coal going forward, and you don't know the cost of natural gas going forward. Yeah, right? commodity so, prices are volatile, right? And, and, so. and it's key that it's key that that the big generators control their cost, right? I have some idea they can buy forward contracts on natural gas, but it's like you, you can't go out too far on it, yeah. and and it may fall. So to lock in that fixed cost is pretty attractive from a generation large yeah, scale. That's interesting. Standpoint. What we were talking about the other day is that the there, there's all the the new PPAs here are locked in with no escalator on the cost for 20 right. years, right? 20 years. And there's no, going to be no change in the energy cost coming out of these, out of these new facilities. And you know, of course that RFP, that's solar, by the way, RFP phase <laughs> one that was awarded, it has that character in it. And yep. then the RFP phase two, I, you know, hearing in the, through grapevine and through phone calls that that uh, has been pretty much completed that the sub really? submitting of the RFP phase okay. two. And so that'll be something similar. Now we're in a place where it's like we can see the costing works, right? And yep. if, if it works in other places, it certainly works in Hawaii. Now we're going to see what types of challenges are in front of us to get these uh, systems installed, right? And there's a lot of interesting stuff. And today we're going to get a chance to, to hear a little bit about equity and climate resilience and about you, you, uh, putting putting in all this renewable energy. So yep. let's jump over to a little bit more news and events before we go, though. So, Jay, you want to do the McDonald's one? Absolutely. I mean, it's, we, we always hear about data center companies, Amazon, Google, uh, Facebook. They're buying huge PPA contracts and own 200 megawatts of this solar farm or wind farm or whatever else it happens to be. But yesterday, McDonald's signed a long-term deal with uh, Texas uh, Wind and Solar to uh, supply the majority of its energy use and also committed to a 2030 reduction in its ton per ton of food packaged <laughs> emissions. 30, they want to cut their emissions 31%. Oh, no kidding. In, in, the intensity per metric ton of food and packaging across its supply chain wow. by 2030. So McDonald's is jumping on the bandwagon. And uh, the funny thing is 200 megawatts of their 380 <clears throat> total, I think, actually comes from the same wind farm that Facebook is involved in. So they're all they're all pulling energy from the same place where they have these magic of manufacturing facilities in the Midwest. You know, we touched base on large companies, I guess you can call these guys transnationals, you know, they're all, yeah. all around the world. And uh, when they adopt a renewable energy kind of portfolio as their game plan, that can put pressure on their supply chain. They can, you can even require, right? They mm -hmm. require suppliers to have certain uh, commitments. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, you know, they are, you know, th that helps their bottom line too. I mean, when they're buying less expensive energy and it's, it's like, it's kind sure. of a, a win. <laughs> win for the most part and you start talking I, I can only imagine what these CFOs are are looking at in terms of these uh, the changes to their P&Ls these big massive companies right well we've talked to Russell a lot over Maui Brew yeah. I mean, he's a, a unique kind of perspective on it from that from when you when you are in a CFO position and it the numbers really start to work <laughs> right like like they're not doing it for charity purposes no you know? not at all and so yeah there is some benefit to it but the numbers still have to come into line yeah all right. So um, next up, bifacial modules are back on the table. We heard um, earlier in the year that, that bifacial modules were going to have the, um, the tariff, the Trump tariff levied against them. Um, SIA has been able to block that uh, in court, but it's a temporary block. Yeah, I mean, it's just something that's happening in the meantime. The, re the main reason I threw it in there, I thought it was interesting that bifacials, you know, that they had an exemption. Mm -hmm. And I thought I thought this could be really important in these utility scale projects as they get installed or as they get booked out, and that 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 uncertainty that would result from the tariff being in there could really impact the commercial installation. It's been like twenty gigawatts uh, a year in the U.S. of that market, so it's massive. So the fact that there's a potential for that to be stalled, even though it's just mm -hmm. a temporary block, yeah. is important, right? Um, actually, I wanted to jump over something else. Mm -hmm. I just saw it a second ago. Did you want to jump in there? Well, I was just say uh, for those newer to the show. 
and I've learned recently too, bifacial is that you can get power generated from the bottom side of the panel. Right. Yeah. They need to be a certain distance across, away from your, your back. You can't mount it like right on the roof because right. there's no light back there. Wait, but if, you, if you're like a carport <laughs> situation or something like that, you will get reflected <coughs> if you have a cement uh, driveway. It's actually pretty bright. Yeah. Uh, and you'll get a significant backside, what's called a backside hit from, from the albedo, yeah. uh, the light reflected and, off of that concrete. And that was, that was the last couple of years of evolution. And then we were just starting to see that become bankable and being ready for utility scale. Yeah, nobody knew, nobody knew how much you were going to get off. <laughs> yeah, and then at that point, it started to look attractive for utility scale operations. Like, right. I talked to the Interjects guys about it. And they're like, yeah, that can make sense. We're if you can get an extra that. 15%, why wouldn't you? But it right. needs to be known, right? It can't be sure. kind of a guess in order yeah. to be in these big projects. But right. I, uh, so I wanted to jump over to something else before we, we finish up. I just noticed in that same CNBC uh, 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 uh platform here that Buffett-backed BYD announces electric car partnership with Toyota. Mm -hmm. Did you see that? So Toyota Motor Corporation is now set to, joint, to do a joint venture with China's BYD company. Why is that a big big deal? Well, first of all, Toyota hasn't been in the EV market, right? No, they've, they've, been been, they've, they've been hydrogen predominantly. And but the, BYD is the company behind our uh, local electric buses, yes, if you were yes. not aware. And BYD has used, uh, I believe, pr predominantly lithium iron phosphate in those yep. buses, yep. which is an unusual thing. It gives you a long cycle life. So I guess you can handle that weight in a bus like that, maybe, or something. But sure. in any case, it'd be very interesting to see. I know they do other chemistries. Met those guys over in InterSolar. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what chemistries they choose. Uh, and then what types of electric vehicles they go. Does that suggest a paradigm shift in Toyota that they're going in the EV away from hydrogen? I mean, it looks like it. If you know, uh, yeah, that would, I don't know. I've, I've, I like hydrogen as a storage medium, and and it would be a little concerning. This was, this was Thursday <laughs> for me. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna have to do some more research on that one. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, a minute or so left. Anything else you want to jump in before we? Tiny go? solar collectors, little tiny hairs on every panel. There. Oh. Uh, Heliotropic or, or phototropic, I guess, is, is the correct. Our favorite um, word. Yeah, phototropic is, is when the, the um, something will follow the light. And the way this works is that when this little polymer hair uh, gets light hit on it, the side that is hit warms up a little bit. And when it warms, it shrinks. So it actually pulls itself back in line with the light source. And then once the light source is... is shadowing itself it will stabilize and stay there so that can be put inside <laughs> of silicon in order to be able to it's actually it's above it, it, these mitigate are, these the effects like, of, of angle of incidence problems right that's that's exactly what they're doing so these little tiny hairs will be all over the front of your panel and they've tried they've tried a couple pilot tests Whoa. and they were getting literally like 400 percent more energy throughout, throughout the day so you don't have to move a big old panel you don't have to yeah the they days just reorient the, the trackers themselves. the trackers it's all it's all in the in the face is that like molecular the, the size I mean, yeah they're extremely extremely small like zero 0 0.04 inches <laughs> so really really tiny and that's that's kind of my concern is that having these little things out there i mean i could just see them getting just snapped off by your random bird <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if. I wonder or, if. Or a leaf falling. Oh, these are external. You're saying these are external to the panel. Right now. I wonder how Shug feels about this over at Next Tracker. Yeah, we're gonna have to figure it out. <laughs> right. and, and it's an analog system. Uh, it's completely passive. Yeah. There's like, no. There's no. Passive. That's a better yeah, way. Yeah. There's. There's no input from, from electronics or computer or anything. Yeah. It simply Which is does, simpler. It simply and, does it right. physically. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. So let's jump over to our commercial break. We'll come back and we'll have a little bit from HSCA's Expo. Pantech Design is ushering the world into a new age of home energy automation through the convergence of smart home technologies and renewable energy management. Unifying solar energy production, intelligent energy storage, and smart breaker technologies with smart home devices, Pantech Design's complete home energy automation suite incorporates unprecedented control of lighting, shades, climate, security, hot water, electric vehicle charging, and many other systems. Contact Pantech today at PantechDesign.com. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system combined photovoltaic and thermal holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. All right, there you go. Our wonderful sponsors, uh, soon to be filled up by a couple of new great uh, global juggernauts as well. Uh, we'll talk about that shortly. Um, hey, uh, you know, the HSCA event was uh, a cool experience. 
It was nice to see such a, it was completely filled, packed to the brim, a lot of great energy. That was last night, 4 to 9 p.m. at Aloha Tower. We met a couple of cool people, and uh, right out of the gate, we had a conversation with a woman. Her name is Lala Noose. Mm-hmm. I think that's her nickname. Yeah. Uh, and she is with the, okay, let me get this right, Jay. You have it in front of you, or I have it in front of me? Office of Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resiliency of Oahu. So she's working on <laughs> equity and on making sure that, you know, uh, that, that people aren't left behind in this energy transition. You know, we know, we, we look at this and sometimes we think about the macro side of this. It's huge. There's a massive transition of wealth. There's tremendous opportunity. How do we make sure that's distributed in some reasonable manner and that, you know, that people are not uh, left out of this whole experience? We know from the from the uh, experience of the last decade that, hey, if you have a home and that just right there, you're a little bit higher income. It's, homes are expensive yeah, out yeah. here. And then you have some tax equity, right? Then, yep. okay, well, I can go get a solar system and it'll work for me, right? But then, of course, NEM went away. And then so, you know, you, you couldn't access NEM. You can't access NEM anymore, right? So yep. that great opportunity was there before. And it was there for the guys that had a little bit of loot, right? Yeah. So yeah. how do we change this going forward? How do we put together a picture where everyone can take advantage of these wonderful opportunities? And I think this is what Lala is working on. Yeah, and so, that's, that's, it's her, she's only two months on the job. You'll hear that. Um, but that's, that's her task. They created yeah. this position for her specifically to look at these issues and find to help up our path forward. All right. Let's hear from Alrighty, so we're here with uh, Lala Nutz, uh, and this is the Climate <laughs> Resilience and en- Equity Manager, the Office of Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resiliency of Oahu, right? Yes, that's right. So very cool to meet you. We want to get a sense of what you do. We're here at the HSEA 2019, the second expo that William Gesey has put together, right? And uh, so it's... Give us a sense of your organization. What do you do? What are you up here talking about? What what are you trying to share? Sure. Yeah. So I recently joined the team for the Office of Climate Change, Sustainability and Resiliency for the city and county of Honolulu, um, actually as a climate resilience and equity manager. So um, I'm two months into the gig and I'm getting a deep grasp on what our city and county's initiatives are towards climate change uh, mitigation, adaptation. The focus within energy, um, as far as, say, my scope is looking at the equity of it as we transition, the idea that we don't leave anyone behind. So what does that look like as far as the 48% of our Alice community members um, that are low, below, lower, below, low income? And what kind of programming can we do to help that transition um, to be equitable and you know by 2045 we're supposed to be off of fossil fuels and 100% renewable so what does that look like on the deeper lenses fantastic and this is actually a really key piece of the puzzle that I gotta tell you I have not heard of a position dedicated to that as of yet all right so what's interesting about that from my perspective is that well we're in one of the most expensive states to live. Yes. Uh, I think low income was just pegged out. I saw it on social at around 93000 a year for a family of four. Correct. That's amazing. Our medium but, uh, house price is almost $900,000. Unbelievable. Just to own a home is really challenging in this environment. And then, of course, uh, renewable energies and the, the, the path uh, of, of adopting renewable energies it's, it tends to be something, or certainly has over the last decade, that's approachable for people that have a tax liability, people that own a home, people that are in a position of wealth, uh, or at least relative wealth, right? Correct. So uh, there's new efforts recently to incorporate uh, the greater community. Uh, for example, community-based solar. And I, I'm hearing a lot of dialogue about that. I haven't really seen it mapped out quite right. yet. I mean, what? how do you see your role in, what are some, I know it's two months in, so I don't want to put too much pressure <laughs> on you here, but I mean, that there, that's actually a really, and an important role and I think there's a lot of room in there for growth because it's it's kind of new in a sense. It is actually um, this idea of equity within climate change initiatives is quite new Um, from a global perspective it's kind of the the trending word right now I just got back from climate change um, USDN I'm not sure if you're familiar with that organization the Urban Sustainable Directors Network which is um, a national and actually international network but that works between the U.S. and Canada um, that helps with policy making regarding climate change. So just came back from that and their whole theme was around equity and this is kind of 
on the tip of the iceberg and really honing into the deeper layers of yeah. what our transition, our renewable, our Green New Deal should look like um, from all levels and seeing more and more of the challenges with, within the middle class um, and that gap growing that the real cost is going to come into effect in the long term unless we figure it out now and how can we bring those people with us. Um, and it's bringing up interesting conversation within governance that um, hasn't really been talked about, say, as much um, as previous times before this concept of equity is being initiated into the larger scope of things. So it's really exciting um, conversation. Um, regarding deeper levels of our values um, as a place, specifically Hawaii being really unique with a living, thriving indigenous community, um, native Hawaiian intelligence, um, indigenous skill sets and place-based, and kind of the fusing of those things within value systems, the uh, modern technologies, indigenous knowledge, how does that play into equity, what does that mean for us, on how we're actually going to do it. The what, I think we've gotten down. You know, we don't have any lack of technologies or tools um, at, with us now, but I think there is a, a lack of and a lot, a lot of opportunity for these deeper levels of like, not the what, but the how and the why we're going to be doing this. That's really cool. That's really cool. And I, I think that uh, pretty, like you said, a pretty new conversation. We're, we're talking with a fellow named, I think, Papona Ai. Uh, he's a, 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 an elder and, a, and, a, and I think a, he, he presented at this the, one of the resiliency uh, uh, events at, in Maui. Got a chance to speak with him. Have since had a little dialogue over the phone, and he introduced the idea of these natural resources uh, being not simply these assets, but rather like representative of even said our ancestors, which I thought was very interesting. Never heard that language before. Mm -hmm. And then of course, if you start, and, and then he started to question, well. Okay, yeah, it's being done, but how are we participating in this? And how right. are we uh, participant in the conversation of how and when and where and and how do we take? Of course, if there's a requirement of of using uh, the land, and, and especially in Oahu, that's a huge conversation. Jay and I have been talking about the amount of land that's required to meet the 100% uh, or RPS, and that is actually very difficult to, to, to find that amount of land on the island of Oahu, right? I would, I would like to say challenge that and say I think based off of the current model in which we're pushing through that solution, um, yes. But I think that's where we can start looking at our localized resources, skill sets, invaluable knowledge base that's not being tapped into within contemporary times to really actually diversify and create broader scopes of abilities that actually are more um, in balance with ecosystems. So with that knowledge of biomimicry and knowing how to um, manage natural resources and knowing their purpose um, is something that our indigenous communities have been able to save here in Hawaii. Um, and looking at kind of um, equity from a climate change lens, providing equitable space for those types of knowledge-based um, resources to be able to be sitting at the table and potentially centered at the table of how our modern technologies can help us get there. I think it's a, it's a paradigm shift in many ways. It's been leading in a certain way for a very long time. And it really is going deeper into like, what are the inequities that our government system and our economic system have been a part of, both environmentally, socially, um, emotionally, spiritually, all of the above, and saying, not that we want to point fingers, but that we want to be really clear about where are the opportunities and including the voices that haven't been able to sit at a table is really, really important. I, I really feel strongly that um, the systems that got us to this point will only get us so far into this next phase of society and what we're really facing. And you were seeing, you said you came uh, from a, a summit in Canada, did you say? It was in Detroit. Detroit, right. Yes. Where, where there was a Canadian organization there? Did, it's um, it's, it's a U.S.-based organization, USDN, wow. um, but they do work in Canada as well. Uh, okay. um, and they're really per pushing these concepts, which are, again, kind of paradigm shift components of thought yeah. um, and processes and opportunities and Frameworks. Well, the relationship with First Nations in Canada and the government is always kind of like very high profile, right? Right, so. and that's something that we're looking at, you know, the, the realities, you know, when I said we, we're living in Hawaii that has a living, thriving indigenous culture, um, 
they've been able to survive extinction and they have gone through climate change already in many ways. And that in and of itself, we're going to really look at how are we going to survive this, not just from the technical lens, which we're so strong in, but the deeper levels that we really need to get a hone, hone in on. Um, we have to look to those that have been in place, that have gone through these experiences already, um, and start valuing them and actually um, centering ourselves around them again in many ways. Wow, well, we have to follow this. Uh, I'm really excited to learn about some of your action steps and what you're involved with. If people want to reach out to you and communicate with you, what's the best way to do that? Sure, they can go to resilientoahu.org. That is our office's main website. Um, and they can send an email that way, or they can get a hold of me via email. At, it's kind of long, but it's uh, laurien.nuss at honolulu.gov. All right. This has been Lala Nuss. Yes. Of the Climate Resilient and Resilience and Equity Manager of the Office of Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resilience here in Oahu. Thank you very much. Pleasure for your speaking time with and you. Great ideas. Yeah, Thank I'm you. <laughs> very cool to hear uh, uh, Lulu, Lala, Lala. Yep. News uh, yep. talk about this new role. I thought it was interesting that this role existed. Right? Yep. There's a, 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 a conscious effort to look at uh, how do we take advantage of this opportunity and kind of spread that out across our, yeah. our that, entire community, which is really key. Yeah, and that's why these these shows um, are so interesting to go to. I mean, there's all the familiar faces that we know. There's friends and folks that we've talked to before, but there's the new folks there, and they're trying to get their feet under them, trying to figure out what's going on. Right. But they're also right. coming from a really unique perspective and right. then we can have a tremendous dialogue yes yes i agree did you want to say, share something about that uh that that that, that heliotroping <laughs> you want me to share something. well it. while we were listening to lala um I, I looked up what actually the sunbot means that's the little the little hairs on your on your on your solar panel it actually means sunflower like biomimetic omnidirectional tracker uh, it sounds like someone really wanted it to be sunbot <laughs> i love it i love it i love it uh all right okay. so a uh, part of this is that you know uh, we we're seeing uh, an emergence of a lot of technology that's working that is kind of, it's no longer so much a question of are we going to get to this 100% renewable energy goal, it's more like how, mm -hmm. and uh, what are some of the technologies going to help us do that? Well, one of the things that we're excited about, and we met the guys out there that were, you know, talking about this tech, are these smart panels, right? Mm -hmm. So, of course, we mentioned Pantech Design. We've, uh, we've Got, went right to the front of that conversation earlier in 2018 and forward with them, uh, and they're doing amazing things in this kind of smart panel world. Yep. And this year at uh, SPI, we were able to hear from both Lumen, who is a relative new uh, emergence kind of into that into that world, and also Span.io. Span.io is directly out of Tesla. Uh, some of the execs there were the pro main product developers in Tesla Power. They, they have yeah, nothing nothing to do with Tesla. Nothing to do with Tesla company, now. But executives left Tesla to form Span. Guys that have the prowess and right. kind of vision and pro you know possibly yep. the pocketbooks to be able to do something like this. So yep. Span was floating around the uh, HSCA event, kind yep. of the leading they technology. Didn't have a booth, but they were there. Right. So they they're out here in Hawaii. <laughs> Obviously, it's relevant yeah. to them. Let's hear from uh, was it Raj? Yeah. Got it. Right. So we are here at the SPAN booth with Arch Rowe, is that right. correct? Fantastic. Yes. Um, we've heard a lot of buzz recently, uh, but you're a relatively new face at uh, in, in SPI 2019 and, and solar power in general. Tell me a little bit about yourself and SPAN. Sure. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Um, I'm Arch Rowe. I'm the founder and CEO of SPAN. Um, before I started SPAN, I was the head of products at Tesla, where I helped build uh, products like the power wall and bring it to the market and i built a couple of uh, energy companies before that uh, jack weinstein here is one of our leading engineers one of our founding engineers and he leads the system integration efforts um, um, the genesis for span is is quite straightforward like having seen the deployment of thousands of solar and battery and ev charging systems over the last uh, decade um, i personally saw a limitation of the electrical panel in a home it's uh, it's, it's, it sits at the center of everything, the old forms of energy like the grid and new forms of energy like solar and batteries, but has seen very little innovation in over half a century. So it seemed like a, the right time for us to be reimagining or reinventing the electrical panel. Uh, and that's what you see both on our tiny home here and, uh, and behind you as well, Josh. Um, and the idea is we're integrating some of the essential components that are required in a distributed energy install to make it uh, make solar, battery, EV charging plug and play, while adding a whole lot of functionality for the customer, like being able to control everything in your home in real time, whether you're on grid or off grid. Yeah. One of the things you said there right away, plug and play. Mm -hmm. 
that's a key piece of this. These, these, there are intelligent systems out there. There's, there's a few other panels out there, yeah. but plug and play is kind of the holy grail because installation takes time, time takes money, and the installations are very expensive. Yeah. So what do you mean by plug and play? Well, our long-term vision is that um, people don't think about these new energy technologies as aspirational, but it becomes as commonplace as a home appliance. Sure. Like it should be something that you get in every home, like you get a refrigerator or a washer dryer. We're not quite there yet, but I think what we can definitely solve is the design and installation complexity. Right? Today, installing a solar system or a battery system takes a day, day and a half, if you will. We want to get it down to be able to uh, you know, half a day install, right? or even less if possible. And I think that comes by stripping away the need for all these disparate components that all have to be clutched together yeah. and has to be customized for every single home. Like for example, Jack worked on uh, integrating our, you know, pre, like he was a Tesla as well with, with yeah. us, and you know he helped integrate um, a lot of our battery products with third-party inverters. And maybe you can talk to the challenges of trying to get all these disparate pieces to work together versus what our integrated panel. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, there's 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 no comparison to a factory integrated system, right? Like what what we're doing is what we're doing at least with our initial product is we're taking a large part of the balance of system and designing it to work well together and then testing it at, at the factory so that installers can be guaranteed that when they put this thing on the wall, it does exactly what the homeowner wants it to do. So what kind of connections can an installer expect to see? Is mm -hmm. it literally just AC power connection and you're done? You That's right. Ethernet, wireless, what, what else? Well, so from an install standpoint, we wanted to be, uh, we wanted to not require any retraining for an electrician. So what you'll see in our open-up panel behind you is a uh, an interface that is very familiar to an electrician. It's the main it's the main breaker and a bunch of stubs where they can put traditional off-the-shelf residential breakers into, right? But behind the scenes, like what's sitting in our little sub-assembly between the bus bar and the breakers, is a, a whole lot of sensing, actuation, and logic or intelligence built into it. And Jack can talk a little bit about the communication stack that we have here. Yeah. Well, so. We do require communication science. Is the one. So if you're if you're installing For any us any kind of intelligence, you need right. some communication. Of yeah. If, if you're installing us with a hybrid inverter, you need to run AC from the inverter to our panel, land it in the breaker, and then we'll need like twisted pair RS485 or some other communication line to the inverter. But that's it. But yeah, that's on the on the side side. Our device is mm. able to talk mm. uh, LTE and Wi-Fi and Ethernet out of. Uh, our panel back to our cloud. We can also point that information to the utility if needed. We can point that to uh, the asset owner if needed as well. Let me ask you a, a question about uh, just the, the general functionality of this system, mm -hmm. right? Just keep it really straightforward. So, if is this something that's going to help an installer remove the need for a protected loads panel? Is this does this completely uh, replace your existing yeah. control your your existing panel? Yeah, that's it correct. Does. Yeah, this okay. is intended to be a main panel replacement. So the gray sheet metal box you're used to seeing on the Got side it. of homes for the last mm -hmm. seventy five years needs a revamp. So I'm a I'm a consumer. Pretend I'm a consumer in, in Hawaii, and mm -hmm. like much of the current permit pulls, uh, eighty percent includes storage. Right. Mm -hmm. We're in a post NEM world. We have all these different tariffs that require storage really to, to make it work. We're also wanting battery backup. Right. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're gonna pay for a battery. You don't want to just use it for self self supply functionality. You want to have some security out of that. That's what the people right. think batteries right. do. Right. So then, uh, how does uh, span? play into that picture. Does my installer say to me, hey, this is a great technology, it's going to be um, more dynamic than putting mm -hmm. in a protected loads panel, it's going to be less expensive, it's going to add value and functionality to your life. Yeah. What is it, what's the overall value proposition? Yeah, I think first of all, Hawaii is a key market for us for the, for the reason that you stated. The attach rate of storage is very, very high because of the changes in, in NEM regulation and, and other energy cost rates. The second is, when we talk about our products uh, to end consumers, homeowners, or when we talk about it with our customers, which is the solar installers, there are three things that we like to emphasize. Cost, functionality, and aesthetics. On the cost side, because we reduce the number of material components on a site, like we're doing away with all these conduits and gutters and all of that stuff. Huge. And we're doing away with yep. third-party meters and automatic transfer switches, all of which is embedded in our device, the material cost comes down, but more importantly, the labor cost comes down substantially. Right, one or two electricians uh, can go get this installed done in the same day, and that's huge. Yeah. Right, and that translates into cost reduction for the customer. Functionality, 
if, like you said, one, one aspect is self-supply or self-consumption, but another key aspect of having a battery is being able to have some security, right? When the grid fails, how do you make sure that your home is powered? Today, that solution is, is very um, unrefined in my mind. You just get a portion of your home backed up and that's static forever. Ah, yeah. It just doesn't solve, right? So if you get a chance to play with our app inside, you'll see that <laughs> right, that notion. <laughs> right. Absolutely. We've built this tiny house over here with our panel being powered with solar panels and a battery. Thank you for building a tiny house with a bunch of solar on it, because what is more cool than a tiny house with this really, uh, with it's solar kind of storage tech? I constantly get stoked about tiny houses. Maybe this will be a second business line for well, us. No, we'll because, because, it, because it's small and you reduce your consumption at the same time of increasing your, mm -hmm. your, your generation, yeah. then you have the opportunity to think about the integration of the electrification of transpo, all that's that right. stuff. So that's why it's kind of just exciting and to see it all in one box. And we want to be something tangible, right? Like, although we're just a year old, we actually have a product that works today. And what, what, what I wanted to emphasize on functionality is for the first time, Customers can choose dynamically in real time what part of their home they want back to. Yeah. You're no longer uh, stuck with whatever your installer put on a sub-panel when they did the installation. Right. And the that, third point was the aesthetics, right? Like we want our product to look beautiful. We also want it to look beautiful when you install it in your garage wall or outside your home. We want there to be two or three boxes, not seven or eight gray boxes and a bunch of Running oh, so there, there's so much on each of those points. We could probably talk for a long time if yeah. you had the time. But yeah. you know, the notion of aesthetic. When we when we uh, sell a solar plus storage system in Hawaii, we're not usually showing those pictures, or at least talking. I'm not yeah. in the installation business anymore. Yeah. But I. Yeah. But people are often surprised by the amount of electrical equipment that it requires. So the, the more we can consolidate that, create a nice aesthetic, I think that's important because you're going to live with this for a long time. That's but right. the dynamic nature of, mm. of storage, uh, of being able to choose your loads when something happens creates a really interesting narrative, right? right? Because you want to say, okay, maybe my standard loads are X, Y, and Z, my, 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 my communications or my, uh, I don't know, my We've lights or that. whatever. In our app, what you'll see is my must-have loads, like must always have on, as much as you can back me up with the battery. Nice to have loads, which will shut off when my battery reaches like only five hours of storage or 50% energy left in the battery, and not essential loads. Absolutely configurable. Right? You can literally slide them back and forth. So then you have these three settings. Yeah. So it's, hey, your uh, span system's installed, welcome to the system, you get it on an app or something. That's right. And yeah. then it's you're, you're already set up for those three sections. That's but right. if you want to choose actual breakers or actual loads, you can do that as well? Absolutely. You can, go and, you can go and turn specific breakers off in real time. And now what Jack and team are working on is being able to control more than just the circuit, but actually control specific appliances. Like one of the, you want to talk about the EVSC? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think we can't overemphasize how different an experience it's going to be for homeowners to have this panel and to have dynamic real-time control over what's going on in their house. Like we, you'll see, uh, you'll see in our demo, we provide live updates of like how much time you have left on battery. And so we're, we'll be able to exist in dialogue with homeowners being like, oh, if you, you know, if you deprioritize your AC, if you let us turn it off when you, when you hit that low battery threshold, you're going to have four more hours on battery. So it right? actually and does those kinds of estimations yeah. as well. Yeah. And because we have per circuit metering, we can, we can produce those estimates and have them really mean something. We can actually you know, forward predict, like, you generally come home and turn on your lights around 7 p.m. and this is how much power the, the lights in your kitchen take. It sounds really, um, really easy. I mean, that's the last thing a homeowner wants is what they, they want what they want. But when you finally get a system installed, as you're presented with this engineer-designed programmer interface mm -hmm. that no one really understands. That's right. The, the it needs who, to be the, simple the engineer right. who designed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're really solving for simple and intuitive. Um, you know, the, the end customer has, has never had this level of uh, intuitive interface to their home. Today, if you think about the world of things you can control in your home, they're all disparate. Each of those exists in a separate stack. Your smart thermostat, your lighting control system, your water heater, they're all, they're all going through different platforms and we're trying to homogenize that. Yeah. Uh, and, and as Arch was saying, we're, you know, we're thinking about how to kind of give homeowners complete control over how energy is used throughout their house. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're pushing actively to start uh, exerting appliance by appliance control over the house, right? Because turning off circuits is the necessary first step to kind of crudely manage or like coarsely manage energy flow through the house. And then the obvious next step for us is to start managing specific appliances. So, one, so we have, uh, sorry, so we have an EV charger on the right. wall of this tiny house. Um, and we're actually doing local communication to the EV charger to adjust its charge rate. 
um, J1772 allows you to modulate the available current to the car. So we can go in and on this charger right here, we can go in and you know dial down the available current to you know what's what the what That's your right. solar is currently capable of, or like the battery power that isn't currently be, being used on loads. And what's um, really cool about that is it's great functionality for the end consumer, but it doesn't take a lot of imagination to think about how you can go from there to say if Kiko or some utility is willing to compensate me for turning down my charger right now because I'm allowing my neighbors and the rest of the grid to be stable, that's great. Like we can enable that digitally, right? Without having to have the utility coming and installing one more thing in your home to do that. Right, right. A lot of opportunity here, We're almost talking about virtual power planting now, yeah. and of course, there's yeah. the relationship between this uh, technology and other devices. How far do you see SPAN going in that relationship? Is it a, uh, are you moving into smart house technology or are you partnering with groups and allowing them to kind of handle that area of the business? Very prescient question. Um, I think the whole smart home ecosystem is a bit of uh, a maze right now, right? There's, there are too many players all trying to be the center of the home and it's, it's convoluted at best. And we're not promising to be more than we are today. I think first and foremost, we want to be building an awesome product that can make the adoption of renewable energy less complex and less expensive, because that's, that's the mission, right? We want to accelerate the adoption of distributed renewable energy. But in doing so, we're building a product that naturally sits at the center of your home. Everything that's powered in your home is connected to this panel already, right? And we're enabling it with a lot of horsepower, both in the computational power and communication, to be able to uh, to allow customers to be able to see it from anywhere in the world and control it from anywhere in the world. Once you have that platform, that base, then enabling things like lighting controls, or thermostat controls, or water heater controls, becomes incremental software updates that we want to do. Gotcha. I don't think there's going to be one winner in this space, so we will we, we know and we intend to partner with the leading players in the, in the marketplace, and I think the goal is for us to always focus on the best customer experience. And if the customer wants a particular end customer experience, an experience that's driven by a different app, we want to support that. Excellent. Well, yeah. I think that's a great place to wrap it. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, Raul, CEO and founder yeah. of SPAN. And then also, Jack uh, Weinstein, thanks for letting us know all the inside uh, yeah. nitty-gritty of, of the technology. Very much thanks appreciate it. All right. Yeah. So that was, uh, Rao, really interesting uh, to start to dig into this smart panel technology more. Of course, we're acquainted with it back in 2018 uh, with Pantech Design and what they're up to. Very exciting stuff. We're going to get to learn about the differences, how the different approaches. But think about it, folks. If you're getting a PV Plus uh, storage system right now, you need to make a decision. Do I want to use those batteries for something beyond simply self-supply functionality day to day? Uh, do I want a four-gang outlet to do that? Meaning I just plug yep. stuff into plug it into when the, the grid goes out? <laughs> do I want um, a critical loads panel that's static that you can't change in the future forward and that requires a fair bit of labor to do? Or do you want to get just a super powerful system that's going to be able to back up your whole house and not have to worry about it? Maybe self-curtail, right? Which is super crazy expensive. If and you, you want go in that there much and battery, it's going to be insane to back up your right. whole house. Right. Well, you need a lot of power, right? right? And a lot of energy for it to be meaningful over time. So, yeah. you know, when I look at it, really, the dynamic loads panel is the only answer. I mean, I'm already super sold on this idea. The uh, concept is fantastic. Concept. Which, which, which one is the one you want to go with? Very good. <laughs> one, uh, so we're going to get into this over the next few shows. Do want to uh, give a phone number here for Fair Wins Wealth Management with Brian Thomas. Do you want to get the first? 808 873 So we'd like to uh, definitely start to have some of those conversations about uh, ESG with you and some new clients, I think, maybe. Uh, Jay, what do you th what say you? How should we end this? This has been the solar coaster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wonderful event at HSEA. Congrats to William Giese, uh, executive director of that uh, wonderful organization out there. Thanks, folks, for listening, tuning in, and uh, having a wonderful Aloha Friday. <laughs>